You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 69. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. All right, our main story today, which kicked off the conversation, is the news from Apple's WWDC that they are unbundling the iTunes app into three separate applications, one for music, one for video, and one for podcasting. I think that the reason that this uh, particular story was in the news a lot is because people started freaking out that Apple is, quote, killing iTunes, which obviously would be a shame, obviously not what they were doing. I knew that wasn't what was going on. But I think what they are doing does make sense as Apple's SVP of engineering, Craig Federighi, said today, you know, you want more in iTunes? Should we put a calendar in there, email in there? Might as well make it its own operating system within the operating system. So Apple recognizes a poor design pattern when it sees one and it fixes it. So good on them. I think that uh, they also had a lot of great ideas on privacy today. I especially like the idea of having the phone generate burner emails that forward to your real email for every new login you create. That's something that you can theoretically do now, but it's really too much of a pain to be worth it, uh, to be worth the hassle. And so I, I, Apple is definitely starting to bring strong security principles to consumers and making it so that consumers don't have to think about it, which is always the key point. Makes me think that one day Apple or a company like it could be instrumental in making consumer cryptocurrency palatable. We'll see, crypto people, Bitcoin folks. I think that people were worried about iTunes because of all the news from last year with Google and Facebook removing key features. Remember, we did an episode on the Google graveyard, and we did a lot on Facebook um, and their lack of new features and innovation over the last few years. Apple uh, continues to go in the direction of building new things. And so that's a good thing for them. It's tough always to be compared to Steve Jobs era Apple. And that's really not fair. And as we get into it today, we get into a little bit of history today, even that took years to build up. All right, so we're going to talk about this news. Also, Foursquare and Placed joining forces to create an ad measurement juggernaut. Uh, Cubans look poised to get free Wi-Fi, not free Wi-Fi, private Wi-Fi. Um, So we will see what that means um, for the island of Cuba. And finally, a discussion on the history and future of content business models. Now, don't skirt that one. Don't skip it. I know it sounds, but look, you all listen to a lot of music and movies and podcasts. Sometimes you pay, sometimes it's free. And how you pay and how these things are paid for is going to have a big impact on what you get. So we talk a little bit about how Apple and other companies coped with this over the last 20 years and what the potential money models are in the future. Show notes on localmaxradio.com slash 69. Enjoy. Let's bring it up. Aaron, welcome to the show. It's good to be back. I'm wearing Foursquare shirt today. Very exciting. You know why I'm wearing a Foursquare shirt? You, you tipped me off uh, in, in, the, in the pre-show here that there's, there's some big news. Yes, there is some big news. It turns out that uh, Foursquare bought Placed today. And we, have, we're, you know, we haven't done a whole uh, a news show in a while. So we're doing a little tech news update here. And of course, maybe Foursquare is not the biggest tech news. But hey, I worked there for so long. We need to talk about it. Uh, there was a big investment in Foursquare. It came by surprise uh, this week. And it bought Placed, which is an attribution company. Now, attribution is an ad measurement company. And what Foursquare did 
does in, in particular, and what I did at Foursquare was to you know, measure the effectiveness of ads of getting people to a specific place. And that's what Placed does as well. Now, here's what I find interesting about the idea. Placed was owned by Snapchat. Snapchat is a public company. And so someone went to Snapchat, they bought Placed a few years ago and said, hey, Snapchat, would you like to sell your, uh, a piece of yourself to Foursquare? And, um, and another company kind of financed that deal. So some wealthy investor said, I think that the boundaries of the firm should, should be reconfigured in a different way and it would be more profitable in this configuration with Foursquare and Place being together. So I found that very interesting. Uh, it's the product that I was working on directly for a couple of years at Foursquare. They said in the article they're going to merge the products. I don't know if that means they're going to throw away everything I did. I hope not. Uh, but... Uh, We'll see. I'm sure I'll find out yeah, from well, and, and, someone. And without being, uh, w- without either being inside the company or talking to somebody directly who has you know, access to the code base, it's going to be tough to to make that call to to determine how much of of the kind of under the hood infrastructure is is being le- legitimately merged versus you know p- pieces being thrown out and completely replaced. I yeah, I don't know. I mean, when they do these deals, how much do they talk to the engineers who are, who, who know how it all fits together? And, or are they just going to say, well, we're just going to have, I'm pretty sure placed is going to be the core attribution. Are, are they going to take some of the Foursquare ideas and merge it in? I don't know. Um, I'm sure I'll find out in the coming weeks, but I might not be able to tell you here. But it is kind of interesting to say, okay, um, this is something I worked on for a couple of years. And I was like, Maybe, you know, uh, a little tired of working on it, but it's it's cool that at least something has come of it. Um, if hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully they take some of what we built and 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 continue to use it still. But the fact that this was the major move of Foursquare uh, is kind of nice. Well, so, from 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 your understanding, was this a a situation where Foursquare or or whatever? Whatever investor parties affiliated with Foursquare went to uh, to Snapchat and and basically solicited them for this, or was this a situation where Snapchat made a decision? Well, we want to spin this off, and we're open look, to hearing from from interested companies who might might want to so acquire this group. I gotta say this: I don't know anything that's not publicly in the news. Okay, yeah, and you, if you, I you have no insider knowledge here, but, but and if I did, be, if I did, I this than I am. Yeah, if I did know anything insider, <laughs> I would not be allowed to say it, but I really don't. Um, so it, uh, you know, uh, so the investor, according to this is, uh, what's the, the name of the investor? I, um, is, is it an actual person or a oh, no, the, the, organization? The rain group, R A I N E. And so, um, and the investment was 150 million. I assume that most of that went to actually buying, uh, placed from snap to give to Foursquare. Uh, but, um, and, and I think some of it is to capitalize Foursquare a little, which is by and large, the largest, by and far, the largest investment Foursquare has ever gotten. Do, do you and know so, if they already had an existing investment in Foursquare or, or is this I their I have new no entry? Idea. I, okay. I, I haven't heard the name before, so probably not. Um, it said they're getting a board seat. So if they didn't have one before, if they probably didn't have a major investment in Foursquare. But uh, I, my guess is, so I have no idea who approached whom. I'm, maybe I'll ask someone about that, but my guess is the investor. Uh, but that's a weird thing to go ask. You knock knock on someone's door and say, hey, uh, can I buy a piece of your company? Like, I 
I think that's probably there are probably ways of approaching that that I don't know how to. Sure, yeah, uh, and that's that's not the we we don't work in the the M and A space. That's that's very much outside of our field. Uh, right, but, it's, but it is not it is not at all unusual for a company to to spin off uh, a group that either either grew up you know organically internally or something that they'd acquired and and has run with their company for a while when yeah, they decide is- that it's it's not part of our core mission or it is more profitable for us to spin this off and and it could grow more effectively elsewhere. Yeah, my guess is they acquired it and maybe it wasn't fitting in with their business as as much as they as well as they had hoped. Yeah. And then an investor comes along, maybe you, oftentimes like the board members speak to each other and they say, "Oh, okay, um, this isn't uh, fitting in as well, but I think it would fit in well over here." And so I think by moving uh, these two by bringing these two together and splitting these apart, we could actually create a lot of value here. And so M and A, I used to think it was boring when I was younger. Now I'm like, whoa, you could actually uh, make a, you could actually add a lot of value just doing that stuff. Well, and and I, I don't know if this is included in in the release or not, but are they acquiring purely the technology and the IP, or are they also acquiring all the employees? Staff? Okay. All the staff and and the new president of Foursquare is going to be the uh, you, the founder you, and CEO of Snapchat. Do you know where? Oh, they're, not they're Snapchat. Based? Sorry, they, the uh, placed place, not Snapchat. Do, do you know uh, placed yeah. is in New York City or San no? Uh, so, so I believe that Snap is in LA or San Diego, Southern California, somewhere. And, and, um, and placed was but, located with them there. I believe so. I believe okay. so. But I think some of them are in New York as well. So okay. Um, yeah, so I don't think they're trying to fit all the people in that in the Foursquare's new office. I think that would gotcha. be kind of a tight squeeze. I hope not. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. I've been in lots of offices they, with they tight squeezes. They didn't plan for that stuff. kind of growth when they moved into the new space. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. All right. So uh, I'm, I know there are a lot of Foursquare employees and Foursquare enthusiasts who listen to this podcast, so I thought that would be interesting news. Um, and it'll if there are any be a, M&A, a developing story. Yeah, if there are any M&A enthusiasts, then, um, you know, merger and acquisitions people who have more insight into this, would love to hear from you. Localmaxradio at gmail.com. So we have two articles today, one about Apple dividing up iTunes and one about, um, speaking of developing uh, stories, uh, Cuba and Wi-Fi. Let's start with that. That's the shorter one. And, of course, we already spoke about uh, the rise of internet in Cuba, which is very interesting, because you know it's an now, island where they kept the internet. Was this? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'll always be cross-referencing. I know, I know. So let me go back to the archive. It was fairly recent. I think it was episode fifty-nine. Okay. So we talked about internet ten in episodes Cuba. ago. Yes, and how um, you know it, they kept uh, well. I, I should be clear about who they is. It's actually controversial who they is, but the uh, island has been internet free for a long time. And then now, and I think a large part of it is about, you know, trying to restrict information on it's an authoritarian regime. Um, but as you know, I went there like a year and a half ago and you could kind of see how, you know, you need internet for business, do international business. And if the island doesn't have, you know, the, the, the government needs to bring in some businesses there. Otherwise, they run out of, they, they run out of money. So um, they're constantly having to make compromises and allow more and more internet. And this 
has been developing very fast. So remember, you know, first you had kind of Wi-Fi in the international hotels, very restricted. Uh, then you had public Wi-Fi in the parks. When I was there, there are lots of people huddling around the parks doing that slow public Wi-Fi, and you need the, the special codes to get it. Um, and then uh, the, the article that we were covering was 3G was becoming available. And so that was only a few short weeks ago, at the end of last year, basically a few months ago. And the news that comes out today is now they are allowing some private um, Wi-Fi spots. So in other words, you can go out and buy a router. Now, it's not a free-for-all in Cuba yet. Let's be honest about that. Um, some people are going to be allowed to have private routers. You're going to need a, a license to do so. So you can't just go to like your local Best Buy and buy a router. Um, it's still monopolized, still monitored. Um, but you could see that the government is definitely compromising on its need to control information versus allowing some economic growth. Yeah, but this, this is this is a major step up. It, I mean, it, yeah. it would be analogous to, uh, I, I think we're of the age, you and I, that when we were growing up, uh, there, was, there was a point where uh, I guess you, you might have had dial up uh, at, at, oh, at sure. home eventually. But there, there was a point where if you wanted to use a computer, uh, you went to a library or you went to school. And those were, you know, community resources that had uh, access to computers and to some extent, internet. And, and that's, that's almost the place they were at, you know, up, up to now that if you wanted to use the internet, there were community resources, you could go to these park, uh, or, yeah. or you could, but go you're using to, on tiny phones. Right. Well, it's and it's 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 a narrower pipe for sure. Uh, but but it's not not that far off from what we were dealing with. Gosh, would this have been twenty years ago? Maybe a little bit yeah. longer in the U.S. Yeah. Um, but years but ago. so it's it's so the 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 step to having uh, even if it's part of the same monitored system, but to be be able to have access to that within your own building or or you know to set up your your own personal Wi-Fi access point in your own home is is a, a major leap forward, I think. Right. And we could see that this is moving way faster than I expected. And um, yeah, that Wi-Fi access can be pretty fast. Have we seen that? It's, I, I don't know how fast it'll be, but <laughs> I can imagine it'll be way better than 3G. That's for sure. Um, and so the question is, how monitored will this be? Well, of course, uh, the the... Internet is still, uh, you know, the backbone of the internet is still monopolized, still looked at by the government. I looked into it, or, or you know, you kind of, the, the government does monitor what everyone does there. But interestingly enough, it looks like VPNs are legal in Cuba and do exist. So there are ways to hide what you're doing. Um, I'd be surprised if those are widespread, uh, which might be why they're legal and not regulated, uh, because if, they're, if they were, they probably you know, would try to clean that up real fast. Yeah, well, but, and there's the classic um, it, problem that, that even but it if, could be happening. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, even if they can't see what you're doing, the fact that you're either running it through a VPN or using Tor or, or some sort of encryption, they, they can't see what you're doing, but you, you are sending enough signals that what you're doing is probably something they wouldn't like that it can get the, the light shown on you. They, yeah, they, they, they can't see what right. you're, you're, what you're transmitting, but if you've encrypted it or trying to hide it, then they probably are going to want to take a closer look. So it's, right. it's not but without a, but risk a couple to, things, to try and absolutely. use this to, to work around the government. Absolutely. But a couple things we've seen is that residents of uh, China, Chinese citizens have been very adept at getting around their country's uh, 
information controls on the internet. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it, you would imagine that at least some Cubans will eventually be able to do the same. And, um, of course, I'm on all these Bitcoin, you know, message boards and crypto message boards, and those are almost impossible to censor. So uh, b- people have heard of that stuff in Cuba, but I, I doubt there's a lot of it going on. But, you know, yeah, maybe well, one day there will be. Even if they weren't particularly concerned about Bitcoin itself, my, my understanding is that Cuba has, they, they pretty tightly control their currency there. So any yeah. any form of converting, uh, is it is it Cuban, what is it, Cuban dollars, Cuban pesos, Cuban... So th- I, it, it's, there are two separate currencies, one currency for tourists that ah. I had to use, and then another ter- currency for locals. So the currency for tourists is more pegged to the dollar. But that makes sense, the, I suppose. And, yeah. So they have this, they have this strange dual currency system. Um, but again, you could do well. Yeah, but but regardless, we could talk, any any yeah. efforts to convert that into other currencies, I'm sure would are are tightly controlled. Uh, and yeah, and so, but what if you you could do something online? What if you could are a graphic designer design a graphic for someone online and they um, you know they give you ten bucks in uh, in Bitcoin, as uh, as your payment, now you have it. Right, so it's, it's got to be introduced in into the economy f- ex- from from external, and that's how I think it yeah. would happen uh, for, for people so, doing. So the question becomes: How do you convert what if the that Airbnb, into, into yeah, currency it, in Cuba? The Airbnb host can. I, well, you would have to. One day you would have to trade it peer to peer. Yeah, essentially. Um, but it's an interesting idea, uh, and there's no reason why that can't be done one day. And, and so this, to, to, to be clear, at least from my reading of this, this, this isn't in effect immediately. Uh, it'll be happening later this summer, but they, they just announced that it is, uh, it looks like July yeah. 29th, it will go into effect. Yeah, so that's, um, that's coming up. That's in a couple months, and we'll keep monitoring it and see what happens. Sometimes when these things are announced, they, the deadline comes up and they're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. It's not going to be as much as you think, or we're going to have to push it back another couple months um, you know, yeah, well, governments so often get c- completely different subject, but uh, like with the the legalization of uh, recreational marijuana in Massachusetts, that yeah. they said, okay, we passed the law, it's going to happen, and then the deadline they set for it happening came along and said, well, we haven't figured out how to certify and license and and deal with all this bureaucratic stuff, so we're going to push it, whatever it was, six, twelve, eighteen months down the line, and yeah, it, it, I don't think anyone would be surprised if if we saw a either a softening or a slight delay in what this actually translates into as that date approaches. But, but regardless, yeah, well, this we'll is going to be an interesting story to keep an eye on. Right, right. I mean, it, it would be very cool to see an example. There are historical examples, but none recently of an authoritarian government that's like given too much away and then the, the gig is up. And so they're walking a very interesting yeah, tightrope here. Because it's real hard to claw that kind of thing back once it's out of the bag exactly exactly and if you have everyone figured out how to use vpns before you get into regulating it then it's almost too late so all right next story uh next and last story because i have a lot to say about this um (laughs) as this podcast goes out on monday night uh, apple will be in the middle of its wwdc Convention. Have you heard of WWDC before? I, I heard the acronym, but uh, until you spelled it out, I, I didn't actually realize what it stood for. Uh, so, so this is the uh, the Worldwide Developers Conference uh, coming out of Apple, which 
uh, I, I guess, is, is primarily focused on the software side, so not so much uh, the releasing of new iPhones or new Apple Watches or anything like that, but, but much more looking at, at uh, the, the software backbone. And well, I, I guess they've teased already that there's a new version of, of iOS that's, that's either already on its way out or is, is about to drop. Uh, but, yeah, that's, exactly. but that's not the, the, the main subject that we're talking about today. Right, exactly. So it, it's a software-focused, and I, I know some people are going to be like, yeah, this is obvious. I know this is going on. But a lot of people <laughs> don't know. There's always speculation, oh, they're going to come out with new iPhones. Never. Uh, it's just sometimes they do minor hardware stuff, but this is always about the new version of iOS and what software Apple is working on. And so you know, you're not going to get the new Apple Watch announcement or Apple Glasses or uh, something you know, the, their new foldable tablet or something. All those things are like speculating. Well, and, and, and how long ago uh, was the announcement of Apple TV? Because that's not very far back in, in, in the rearview mirror now. Is there an update to it? I, I, am, I am not an interested consumer of that, so I haven't been paying that much attention. The Apple TV has been out for a long time, but there, there must have been an update to it recently. But anyway, uh, I think the interesting thing happening here is that... Um, iTunes, which has been around for almost 20 years, 18 years, is going to be divided up. Essentially, iTunes is going to be no more, and it's going to be divided up into several different applications. So they're breaking it out into three apps, uh, music, podcasts, and videos, which are really TV shows. Purchased music will still be available in the music app without buying the streaming service, Uh, but uh, that's essentially what they have going here. So it really is an end. It's kind of an end of an era of, for iTunes, although it's a little bit of an evolution here. And I, I think that um, this is kind of a harbinger of where the market is going with this stuff. I know a lot of people have said, well, iTunes is bloated now. You know, when it was started, it was music. It was just music. It was um, streamlined. And now it's got all this other crap in it. Although <laughs> uh, it's not crap, it's good stuff. But you know, it's um, it's there. It's almost like the Foursquare Swarm uh, breakout. It's their their or or the Facebook Facebook Messenger breakout. They're uh, decoupling their apps. Well, the 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 first thing that popped to mind was that, that this is looking a little bit more like the uh, the Google model, where uh, may, maybe not quite as fractured because Google doesn't. They they seem to break it into too many shards, many of which are slightly different uh different reflections of the same exact product but but they've got they've got google books they've got google news uh google video they've got youtube they've got uh the google app store uh they they've got both google play and google pay both of which you can have currency balances in that one always gets me confused uh so so maybe it's not as as uh widely spread out as that but a a sensible division of their different media types which almost seems like a, a a little bit counter to to the model that that I feel like Apple was was operating on previously in that they were trying to be kind of a, a unified source for everything and now they're splitting it out I'm I would be curious to see how much this is a a front end or you know client end division versus how much of the back end is actually being broken apart technology wise yeah so I want to get into a little bit of the history of iTunes here because a lot of people don't realize um, the, some of the history. So iTunes, it was it first came out in January 2001. There was no iPod. It was only for the desktop Macintosh. Um, 
And it was a it was purchased from another company, so it was built a few years before that. So from January 2001 to November 2001, there, were, there was iTunes, but there was no iPod. And iPod was announced November 2001. That, the news of that announcement, I think, was kind of overshadowed by 9-11 and everything going on at the time. But over the next few years, many people fell in love with the iPod. Um, and you know, it took me a long time to get on board with that. I was still <laughs> using my, um, um, my uh, CD player in well into the I, mid 2000s I, I thought for a minute you were going to say your but, microsoft zoom no no my my cd player my yeah i would like change the cds and listen to it as i was in the gym i, I still um, occasionally listen to cds in my car but that tells yeah. you how old my car is that's not as bad i think like i was using a mobile i mean not this decade but in the previous decade i was still using my mobile cd player i, I guess you can't call it a disc man if it's not a uh a no, sony a registered trademark Something like that. But it, it, at least this wasn't the, uh, the, the six-CD changer era. Because yeah. then you knew you yeah. were in, in, in the heyday of CDs. So I think... Um, for, yeah. for those so, of our younger listeners, CDs are compact discs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they're circular. And they, uh, yeah. um, but they're not records. They're not the vinyl. <laughs> not vinyl records, you hipsters. So <laughs> I am... Well, and so let's back up a little bit and see what was going on in Apple there. So... Um, when Steve Jobs came back to Apple, is usually associated with the iPod um, and the later the iPhone. But actually, he, the iPod came out in 2001. He came back to Apple, I believe, in 1997. And so um, it took a few years to get things restarted. When he came back to 1997, I watched a clip on YouTube, which I'll post, um, where he said he tried to take stock of what was going on in Apple and figure out what was going wrong at Apple. And he actually, he, he threw a bunch of people under the bus, which usually you're not supposed to do in business. But he came back to this company after being fired. He had no, uh, no bones about it. And he said, the engineers are great. The engineering management sucks. That's essentially <laughs> what he said. And he said, it's because they have, uh, <laughs> they have um, you know, products going all over the place. People are building good stuff, but uh, they don't work together very well. So he killed a lot of people's projects, talking about killing people's projects. Uh, actually, one of the engineers asked a question as his project got killed. It's, you know, it's very tough for an engineer uh, when your project gets killed that you've been working on for several years. And from the company's perspective, it's like, hey, we paid you to do this. Now we decide to kill it. Now we're going to pay you to do something else. You get paid the whole time. But as engineers, you get very attached to your project, and it's kind of a hard one to take sometimes. Um, but, it, it becomes but, very personal, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And so Steve Jobs had to do that, maybe merge some things together. And they made a, a purchase for the iTunes. I think that was uh, – um, they came out with their, their iMac, and which this is being recorded on. And they, um, and, and they purchased software that eventually became iTunes uh, to get the iPod out the door, which was their first foray into mobile. And so – this is another interesting fact that people often forget. The iTunes Music Store came out in 2003. So like a year and a half after the iPod. So for the longest, not for the longest time, but for a period of time, you know, there was iTunes to store your music. You had your iPod, which at the time you had to plug into your computer to get your music on the iPod. But that was just MP3s that you can get um, independently. 
Um, what, there was no what store. Blew my mind was that there was an iTunes before the iPod, and it, it wasn't yeah. for that long. But but can you imagine what what iTunes would or or perhaps better phrase would not oh. have become without the launch of the iPod? That right. Well, I know it. I, I remember. It never would have I, gotten I the, the mass adoption. People were doing two things. They're ripping their CDs, yep. which which is, which doesn't is the mean... quote unquote legitimate use case. Yeah. By the way, it doesn't mean taking your CD and going <laughs> and ripping it apart. It means you're copying the data off of it. Although, or, although even then, it was somewhat questionable what the yeah. what the copyright uh, uh, legality of doing that was. It, it, right. I think as as long as you were only using it for personal use. Uh, that was fine, but but you know if, if you play that at a party or with other people who did not purchase that CD, uh, there was there was a period there where uh, it was questionable whether you could get sued over something like that. Yeah, and then people also downloaded music on music sharing sites like Napster, BitTorrent, um, uh, Kazaa, Kazaa. LimeWire. I mean, yeah. Bit, uh, excuse me, NapTorrent, of course, being the the kind of the most famous of the in the first wave of those. Yeah, and I still have my mp3 stash from that era um so i have all those mp3s and so yeah you can get a lot you could still have a thousand songs on your uh ipod at that time well, it's, it's like i said it's, it's an no interesting problem, bit but, of, of digital digital archaeology that uh, yeah it's 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 on a dead pc that i i haven't recovered but but i have my my old itunes library on there and it is very much a sampling of uh what what were people listening to my freshman and sophomore year in my particular dorm? Because, uh, oh, there was a great product. There, there were a couple of different versions of it, but uh, I think the original was called MyTunes. And it basically let you connect to your network and anyone else on the network who had an iTunes account, you could see all the music that they had, and then you could copy all of it off the network. So being in a college Sweet. dorm with like four or 500 people in it, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I could see what everybody else ha- was listening to, and and m- to be honest, most of it that they probably taken down from Napster or, or the equivalent. And if I right. saw something I liked, I copied it onto my laptop, and you know, fifteen years later, uh, that's that's still in in my my iTunes library from way back. Yeah, then. me too. We were doing that left and right. I mean, I well, I probably shouldn't. I, well, I'm not going to say I, what I, I, I can't remember the last time I I uh, procured a piece of music like that. You know, either just just getting a copy from a friend or or even torrented music it's it's something oh, yeah. i haven't done for years uh, so it's it's very much of a certain time and and right. it wouldn't it's, have been possible without without itunes to kind of provide the 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 cataloging and the archiving of that exactly so that's what steve jobs and apple did at the time um which was and, and in fact i'll i'll post his introduction to iTunes in 2003, he presented it almost as a backlash to music sharing services such as um, you know, Napster and Kazaa. He formulated it in two ways. One, you know, everyone's stealing and stealing is wrong. Now, there's some debate over that on whether, you know, um, whether copying the data in, in a music file is really stealing. But the second one, which so he gave what was the moral argument? And then like, you know, whenever you give the moral argument, like, okay, like two people get up and clap. But then he gave like the <laughs> practical argument where it's like, um, well, everyone pretends to like, like the moral argument, but then the practical argument about why people are going to do this was very interesting. He was saying these services are really hard to use. They're really a pain. I don't know if you remember this, but when you would download a song on some of these services, you'd look at it and there'd be like, 
10 versions, and a lot of it was from like the music companies giving you fake spam ones. And then it would take forever to download. You'd try to download all 10, and then hopefully it came back later that evening, and one of them was there. Um, yeah, there, and, there were a lot uh, of features that were built into into later torrenting services yeah. that, that basically let, let users... Uh, either verified users or the ability to give feedback on downloads. And so you could quickly, the, the, the good copies would rise to the top. But that was right. absolutely not the case in the early days. And, and I, I think I had a fair amount of, of music in my collection, which I thought was one thing and turned out to be something completely different when it got downloaded. Right, right. And Kazaa, well, there are some things that I, I downloaded in the 2000s and it turned out to be half the song and then half just random noise uh, to like <laughs> screw, screw with you. And then I'm like, well, let me just pay a dollar and get the real one because I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to go back and try to get. And so, yeah, that's essentially what he said, that trying to get these songs to save the money is you're working less than minimum wage and it's not worth your time yeah, to do that. This, this has and long like, been one of the, one of the motivations for a, a sensible digital licensing policy that uh, if, if you make it difficult to access certain things, then people will find ways to pirate it. So, um, you know, in, in a world where now we have via various streaming services or things like iTunes, where you can go out and you can get pretty mu- almost any any music for you know ninety nine cents a track, uh, that's 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 simple and easy. But there's still a lot of of uh, old television and movies uh, and 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 some some books and stuff that are out of print, and the only way you can actually get a copy or or whoever holds the license is not actively publishing it. So if I want to access that. The only option is through uh, some sort of bit torrenting because there's somebody out there who who has a copy and is willing to share it. But yeah, if if, if it's a couple of bucks and I can get it without having to search around and, and take the risk of going in the the dark corners of the internet, then then absolutely I'd I'd be more interested in doing that. Yeah, and I think even, well, even a cheapskate like me. Yeah, well, given how old we are, it's like. Uh, when we were in college, when you're in college, you're... Uh, well, yeah, you, your time uh, you, is cheap. You, uh, so, yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, yeah, so uh, surprisingly, this actually worked. I mean, n- not surprisingly in retrospect, but, uh, you know, back then everybody was using these sharing services and know it, and people did find it more convenient. And so Apple knew what they were doing. And I think Steve Jobs, you know, he interacted with a lot of the music industry and interacted with... Um, the idea of digital rights uh, through his work at Pixar. So he knew how they were thinking. And it was very difficult at the time to get the music industry to cooperate with a tech company. And I think it was even very difficult for Steve Jobs to get them to cooperate, but that's ultimately what they did. And so that was um, that was kind of a, a breakthrough moment um, in, in tech, I think. Yeah, I mean it's 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 kind of amazing to think that that happened, but you have to keep in mind this was in e- either either right before or in the midst of when the entire music industry was being flipped on its head uh, with yeah with they were the the old the old monetization model was breaking apart in front of them and and they they were they were kind of trying to circle the wagons and and if anything I think it would have made them even more reluctant to get into bed with a tech company on something oh like yes this. that that it's 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 pretty pretty impressive that he managed to pull it off. It seems obvious in retrospect, but it it really was not. They did not want to do that, <laughs> um, but they end up making a lot of money for it from it. In some cases, in some cases, not so much. Um, so it, then, if you go forward a few years to the iPhone, 
remember the iPhone has an app store as does as as does Android all all the phones do but remember when the iPhone first came out there wasn't an app store for the iPhone either that also took like a year and a half or something to get the app store for the iPhone well, so I was very was late to the game yeah. uh, I I did not have an iPhone until 2015 so I I, I missed that era completely <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 but uh, even I missed that era, too. I mean, it was really from 2008 to, I don't know, 2009, 2010. I don't know exactly when it was that they yeah, well, came out but, with but, that. But with that being the, functionally the first yeah. smartphone uh, or the, the first One mass the first. market smartphone, uh, yeah. the, then we didn't know what we were missing, not having an app store. Right. Um, so that's a common pattern they have to come out with the hardware before the store. So... Interesting solution to the chicken egg problem there. Okay, but both app stores, or both the app store and the iTunes for, store, uh, very profitable for Apple. So, what is the new model for content? Um, so, now we have three models for content. We have Apple breaking up their service into music, um, into video, into podcasts. And you have several possibilities. You have the streaming service. Apple has Apple Music streaming service. Spotify is a streaming service. Um, you pay monthly for that. You could still pay a la carte in the music. You'll still be able to pay for an individual piece of music, all the music that I bought over the years. And it's weird. Most people say, why not just pay for the streaming? But actually, I like to um, enjoy like a small number of songs. That's my like, song of the month. And then... Um, and then after like a month, I get tired of it and go on to the next song. So when I want a song, I buy it. And so I have a budget of like 4 or $5 a month, and that's actually better than getting the streaming service. And then if I really want something, it's YouTube. So <laughs> it's not really – and then I, and then I build, build up the library over time. At some point, maybe they'll be like, we're going to wipe this clean because this, this model doesn't work. I hope not, but we'll see. Um, so – there's the a la carte service, the streaming service, and then there's just the idea of having free content like this podcast is, like YouTube is. Um, and so those are three well, and, and, competing models. And yeah. even the free content is, is moving into either uh, it's not free because it's ad-supported or right. it, there's, there's a free version that, that maybe it's ad-supported. But then there are tiers. So you've got, you've got your uh, – your, Either a free version and a paid version, or you've got a paid version and then a premium paid version. I think I think that's how yeah. Hulu works. That that there's a paid ver- well, there's there's a free version of Hulu, there's a paid version of Hulu, and then if you pay even more, they actually take all of the ads out. Yeah, well, YouTube does the same thing, yep. and Was it so YouTube does Red? Pandora and all of that. Um, so, or, I guess or, the- or you have uh, a, a model where there's well, and and some of those do that as well, where it's it's not just you know, stripping out ads, but also there's premium content that is only available to subscribers or premium subscribers. Right, right. I mean, that's what Luminary right. uh, Media Podcasts are, 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 is about, is saying, hey, we have a bunch of these podcasts and there's going to be a monthly fee to access these very high-quality podcasts. Um, so I think the let's talk about the pros and cons of each business model because this is going to be key – uh, to determining how things unfold in the future for these businesses and for the consumers. So first is the streaming service. Uh, I know as a consumer, I feel this. I don't know if you feel this way, but we all have lots of monthly charges now that are small each, but they kind of add up. And 
it's very easy to kind of go into your um, into your monthly uh, spending and be like, well, what was that? Oh, I haven't used that for a long time. I spent a lot of money I didn't need to spend. Yeah, um, well, it kind of takes advantage of our busy lives. I, I personally is, get around that mostly by only using the free versions of right. many services. Yeah, but many people are not as careful. Um, a, a benefit for it could be that it can divert money towards the artists and content that you actually consume. Because a lot of these things, um, they don't just pay. Sometimes they pay for the content directly, but oftentimes in these deals, they'll say, hey, you're going to be paid based on how many people in our uh, paid service actually consume your content. Yeah, whether that's so, by listens or likes or or uh, usually, yeah, or, usually or listens or consumption claps or or some yeah. some sort of of I hate user calling directed. Them, it's so it feels so robotic to call them content creators and content consumers. That's what they call. It's like artists and fans, basically. But yeah, and so uh, yeah, that's what I see as the pros and cons of streaming. A la carte is more direct. I feel like you know what you're getting for your money. Even if you spend a dollar or two on a song and you don't like it, it's like, well, eh, it's just a dollar. I'll, uh, I'll do better next time. And it's a one-time purchase. Yeah, so, so the, the- I mean, look, it, it's, it, for some reason, when I'm on the phone and I uh, buy something for a dollar that turns out to be not good, I'm way more annoyed than if I go out for lunch and it's $15 and like, I didn't like the food. I don't know why. But I, do you feel that way too? I, just... I, 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 I buy very little uh, either through my phone or through apps, and and so I don't have too much direct experience with that. But okay, but I, I, I can see why if, if your if your individual price point is low enough, it makes it easy to accept. Eh, that was that one was a miss, but I have more hits than misses, so I'm coming out ahead at the end of the game. Right, right, right. Um, it does require new content to be. Uh, constantly produced to constantly keep people interested. I think all of them do, but a la carte especially because with the streaming service, it could be like... You you can always just change up your taste a little bit and there's new stuff you haven't been exposed to. Right, right. Um, And Go through uh, the back catalog. With a la carte, from the business's perspective, no, we need to have them purchase more stuff. Otherwise, they're not a... uh, I guess in both models... Uh, there's a fire under the business to keep producing more new, exciting stuff. But it's a little different with a la carte because your turnover is essentially 100%. You have to re-win the customer every yeah, well, it's, it's, time. Yeah, it's uh, f- from maybe a cinema cinema perspective. If, if you're the Criterion Collection, you're not building your, your business model on we need to make more world-class films. You're building your business model on we have these amazing films in our stable You know, going back, I don't know, 100 years – uh, and and so we can make those available to you, and they're the classics, and and they're never going to go out of style, and and so yeah. we we're using our back catalog, our library, we're we're built on that, uh, but right. but it's it's very, I mean, part of it is who do you cater to? Because if if your audience are are uh, jazz fans or classical music fans, then then you can, yeah, I mean, sure, there's there's more music in that genre being produced, but there's a huge back catalog that you can pretty much survive off of. If you're pop music. Then, then by the very nature of of the field, you need to be turning that crank constantly because what's in now isn't going to be in in six months. It, it might not even right. be in next week. Right, right. But with your old catalog, so you're saying old catalog is good for streaming or a la carte? Because I feel like the old catalog, you might want to buy them instead when you want them. Oh, well, it, from from a consumer perspective, if you want to have access to all of this, then then you're 
in the long run, yeah, you're going to be better off buying it once and then having it forever. Right. Um, depending on how much of that catalog you want to consume. Yeah, but how much can a single person consume? It's I. It doesn't. It seems. It seems more economical, I guess. Well, it, you know, when I purchase movies on on the smart TV here, it's like. It's usually like four or five dollars to rent and then twenty dollars to buy, and I only buy it if it's something that's really, really worth a, a rewatch. Yeah, and even so, then, I so, rarely so rewatch it four you, times. You expect a lot more replayability out of your music than you do rewatchability out of your movies. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. So. Um, well, so, the last so while one, we're, we're still yeah. on a la carte, uh, the the thing I wanted to bring up there. Um, so obviously with streaming, there's, there's the concern that you stop paying, you lose access right. with, with all, but it's always there. There's you can always go back. Yeah. That will, with all a cart, there's the concern that, uh, are, are you locked in? How much, how much do you actually own what you've bought? Uh, so, uh, this, this gets to digital rights management. Um, are you, are you able to access that? You know, is, is it, you've, you've bought it and you can use it as long as it phones home periodically or you've bought it and you can use it as long as you have a certain piece of software. Or do you truly own, you know, a, a, a DRM-free version of this of this music that you can take with you anywhere and do whatever you want with? Uh, and that's right. that's not a as clear cut a question as it used to be. That right, sure, it's not like you're sure, just you, you used to be locked into a format that you know either you bought it on on uh, on on CD uh, on on compact disc or you bought it on uh, on audio cassette or way back you bought it on eight track or 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 on vinyl and and you didn't get to convert it to the i mean you could with a fancy converter technology but uh you you could you weren't locked into well you can only play this this uh this cd on a sony cd player or a panasonic cd player you weren't locked into that particular technology so there was portability in that sense uh which which is not necessarily a guarantee even if you're buying uh outright a particular music track. It, it depends how you're sourcing that. Right, right. And again, like, what if, um, what if the service, I don't know, goes out of business, and then all of a sudden everything you bought is no yeah. longer well, available. And, and and the the direct a la carte. Um, you you mentioned this in the context of streaming that the ability to to support uh, the artists directly or or mm. somewhat directly. Yeah. Um, there, there are a lot of artists that you can go to their website and you can directly buy music from them instead of through the iTunes store um, in you know, either MP3 or some other digital format. Uh, and so, so there's the option with doing direct purchase to even more directly support the artist. Yeah, that probably helps them better, but it's, yeah. it's very difficult to scale. Probably well, only yeah, the sure. they, artists can do it. There's, there's a lot of infrastructure involved in even doing that on, in a simple manner. That it's, it, I would imagine it's much easier to throw that to, to either... Uh, throw that in the iTunes store or, the or iTunes store. Through, yeah. through your record label, exactly. have it put in Spotify or whatever. Right, right. All right, so let's talk about the last one, which is free. This podcast is free. Um, most podcasts are free. Um, you get a lot of independent voices, but uh, free and ad-supported usually leads to a lot of consolidation because you need a lot of scale in order to create a big business out of it. Um, so... And, and we've that, seen that in the last few years with, with various podcast uh, – podcast networks is maybe not the right term I'm thinking of, but I'm, I'm thinking like uh, Gimlet Media and right. uh, and the Radiotopia Podcast Collective and um, uh, is it uh, Gas Digital and, and other yeah. groups well, that, yes. that they basically pooled their resources to make a, a more 
economically viable uh, venture out of what would have otherwise been independent producers. Joe Rogan, I mean, is a good example because that's like the biggest podcast. And so he's just an independent, um, he could be an, he has the right to be an independent company, but very few people do. Yeah. And so I, uh, uh, free apps and free, free, um, free ecosystems do lead to consolidation. I, I know you have an example. Uh, one of my examples is AM radio, which is usually not given as an example. But if you think about it, it's the same thing. You think of uh, talk radio hosts in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, like Howard Stern and Rush Limbaugh kind of syndicating out to the entire country. And yes, you had independent uh, radio hosts, but they weren't really, you know, it was a t- very tough career. For yeah. those, it's very tough to break into it. And so um, I just want to say this, that uh, uh, you know, Facebook and Google are the Howard Stern and Rush Limbaugh of the internet, just because I know I'm, they wouldn't I'm like I'm curious that. to hear off the air later <laughs> which is which. Uh, but. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll let the listeners decide. Um, and, and you've mentioned uh, satellite radio. Market, yeah, so, so there, there were never that, that many work. players in the yeah. market there, but there, there were two major competitors from it for several years. Uh, there was, uh, was it Sirius and XM? Uh, and they eventually ended up merging because, uh, and, and I, I haven't studied the dynamics behind this, but, but my impression was there was only, only so much market share available for that. And they, they'd thrown so much money around purchasing, purchasing up exclusive content that they couldn't both survive in that marketplace. And so they ended up joining forces, which, which is great for, for them in, in, in that they were able to survive that and they provide a strong product. Not so great for the consumer who may have been depending on some level of competition to provide a, you know, a, a, to, to motivate the, uh, the companies in that space uh, for, for both pricing pressures and the development of content. Um, so I, yeah. and, and I don't know how, how, uh, reactive that market was in the first place, whether people would switch between the brands or if they were particularly brand loyal or the, the way in which it was subscribed kind of locked you in long term. Uh, but the, there, there is no competition there where there ostensibly was uh, previously. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. And people, you know, shouldn't assume that the same principles of economy of scale don't apply here. And so that could apply for music services or free video services like YouTube. Think about it. YouTube is the consolidation of, of music service, even though they don't produce the, um, even though they don't produce the content, they suck up most of the money. Well, that gets to another, another thing I wanted to mention in this context is, is that in the era of, of, uh, of iTunes, when that first came out, Apple was producing Nothing other than providing the platform. Uh, they were right. they were going to record labels or or maybe some of the bigger independent artists and saying, "We want you to to sell your music on our platform." Uh, and and from a music perspective, uh, unless they're doing things in the music space that I'm not aware of, it's still very much that that same case. However, uh, when you start to get it into the the uh, the app store uh, on on the iPhone. Uh, there are there are certainly apps in there that Apple is producing. Uh, they're sure. continuing to take a cut of, of everything sold there, but there's some that so so not only are they providing the platform, they're also providing some of the content there. And I think as they move uh, 
into into the the TV and and media space, uh, they're they're getting more involved in in some additional media production, and so they're they're moving from purely a platform uh, model to to being at least a little bit of a toe in in the product or in in the uh, the content production. Well, space. that's the way Netflix went too, because exactly, now Netflix yeah. produces shows as well, and so that's. Um, yeah, that's and, and, a- and then again, Netflix right there, a subscription model basis. Uh, you're seeing it with with uh, with Spotify. They bought up the the podcast production uh, uh, brand. I'm blanking on the name right. of it. Uh, we G- talked Gimlet about- and we- Anchor. Oh, that's yeah. They I, yeah they they bought both of those up. So so not only are they providing access to this, but they're also generating some of that content themselves as well. And and that touches on the other thing um, with the streaming services. Uh, which is even more apparent. You see it a little bit in the a la carte, but even more so in the streaming services that with uh, system exclusives, how, how much of what you want can you get with one-stop shopping? Um, for the iTunes store has been pretty damn good about being a one-stop shop, that if, if you want music, you're pretty likely to be able to find it there. Sure. Uh, but there are some artists who do not to put their content on Spotify and and there are some artists who who will for a little while and then they're going to pull it and go somewhere else with it and yeah and so if if you're you know a subscriber for that particular service and something that's uh, a key and we see that we see that more in you. video and TV show and podcasts yep. now even podcasts uh, but not so much in music yeah well, was it uh, was it Friends that was was the big ticket item for for the the syndication of that over streaming services that there were. Uh, I can't even remember what the magnitude of money was, but it was a huge dollar amount to to secure those rights for the next several years. Yeah, uh, and and th- they are not shy about the fact that they're Some willing people. to jump ship and go to another service depending on who is who's willing to pay the bigger bucks. Yeah, okay. Some people can't get enough of friends. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I had one more point on that when it came to the podcast business model specifically, um, because. Yes, we are worried that it is uh, largely a free service and what that leads to. But right now, and I think one of my um, one of my future episodes on my future solo shows should be like an ode to the Potiverse or Podcasters Manifesto or something, because I think there's a lot of great things happening in podcasts right now. Um, but I do think that an alternative business model could be combining your podcast with another business. And so that's how you could get a lot of independent voices on there. Um, but, uh, um, I, I'm curious I, I to hear more about that. what exactly that means. Right. I mean, I know like doing this podcast has helped a lot with networking and learning about the, um, learning about, uh, different, uh, Tech, tech, technical concepts and what's going on in the tech industry. So it's benefited me in other ways rather than just been using my time without benefiting me. So I feel like people can combine podcasting with whatever their business is to maybe drive something. But you don't want the podcast to just be you know an extension of your your sales and marketing campaign either. So it's sort of um, it's uh, it's an interesting. Yeah, we we see that with some some. Yeah. Corporate branded podcasts, which but those don't tend work to kind of go well. over like a flop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and a lot of companies try to do podcasts, and they often don't really know how to do it. They don't really, uh, you know, it, they it, don't have. To, they they to don't put the extent, love. Where is the love? Well, it's 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 There's the hot no, new thing, and so everyone wants yeah. wants a piece of it. But if you don't know what your real purpose is, it's 
it's easy to to lose track and and not get off the ground. Yeah. Somehow right, we've Aaron. managed to get through that. Yeah. So we just went through 20 years of um the uh content production industry. We didn't even get into, Man, you know, the actual argument. Old. Yeah, we didn't even actually get into the actual argument over, you know, digital uh, rights and, and copyright, that could be a whole other can of worms. Oh, absolutely. But I think we discussed from the you know business perspective how things have evolved and how the markets evolved and uh, you know a few ways that it might evolve in the future. So I think that this is a very helpful one to refer to. Anything else uh, on this topic before we uh, close up shop? Uh, no, I'm I'm curious to see how this all actually shakes out at uh, WWDC. We'll, we'll find out as we listen along with the listeners. I will be listening. It's, it's coming. Or, or if, depending on when you're listening, maybe it's already here. Yes, uh, probably already here. All right. Thanks. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, Send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel the power.